It's great to see everybody this morning. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name's Derek. I know most everybody in here, but I see a couple faces I don't know, so it's good to meet you this morning. It's uh, my privilege this morning to come before you and to, uh, to get, look into the Word of the Lord with you. just hope that today the Lord's able to teach us something that He wants us to know. Before we hop in, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I, I just pray right now for this time that we have as we look into Your Word and Acts. I thank you so much for your great love for us. I thank you for your goodness. Um, I pray that uh, you would just guide our hearts and guide our minds as we look through these verses and that you would teach us what you have for us. I pray that we would be the people that you want us to be and that we wouldn't be selfish with our lives, but that we would follow after you and walk in your spirit. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad it's finally fall. It's, it's been cooling off, which has been good for me because um, I've been trying to get back in shape because we have a run coming up in April. How many people are doing that? Who's going to be part of that 212-mile run? How excited are we about that? Wow. Going to raise some money to build a church, excuse me, a church, a school in Tanzania for girls. And um, if you're interested in hopping on and getting involved with that, let us know. So I'm really excited about that. But before we hop into these verses, I just want to kind of ask a rhetorical question. Why are we here? There's a bunch of people in a room on a Sunday morning. We could be asleep. We could be getting stuff ready to watch an NFL game this afternoon. Why, why are we here this morning? So you can shout it out. Somebody tell me, why are we here? Jesus. That's right. We're, we're here this morning to remember Jesus, what he did for us. And we're here to celebrate, for one, but also to learn. Because we're looking here through the book of Acts, which we've been doing for a while, and we will be doing for a while longer. Why in the world are we spending so much time looking through the book of Acts if we already know the Lord, we're already saved, you know, we've got that covered. Why, why, why even sp- spend this, time, this much time to look through these things so in-depth? Well, there's a couple of reasons, and I think the answers we're going to give are from Scripture here. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, you don't have to turn there, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for a correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may com- be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's how we want to be. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We want to be people that understand what God's about, not just know, hey, Jesus died for us, we're saved, we're in a good spot, our salvation is secure, and know the basics. We want to dive in and want to know what the Lord is doing. What has he been doing through history? What does he want to do through me? What does he want to do for my neighbor? What does he want to do with, for people that are suffering in other countries? What does he want to do for people that are oppressing others? What is my part? Where, where do we fit into all this? We get these answers from Scripture, and that's why we're hopping in and looking at this and spending so much time. So I pray that the Lord would teach us as we look at these verses. Um, We're going to be today in chapter 7 of Acts uh, in 17 through 43. Well, I'm going to give us some background just so we know where we're at. First of all, just the purpose of Acts. We have Luke writing this book of Acts to tell the story of the birth and growth of the early church. We've seen it already, and we've seen it. Uh, the church has been established in Jerusalem. It's a story of God's faithfulness as we see the truth of the gospel that is revealed and spread to different groups, and we'll see that more and more in coming weeks. Uh, even as, the, as Jesus commanded in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore... 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what the church was doing then, and that's what we're part of now. And also we see earlier in Acts 1.8, Jesus speaking again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen so far that the Spirit has come and that the church is are being witnesses in Jerusalem, they're about to start spreading out. In a few weeks, we'll also hear about Philip, who is one of the seven deacons, uh, first seven deacons, and he's used by the Lord to help send the gospel to Africa. But here, um, we just want to catch up to where we're at so far. Last week, Michael taught on heaven, so we kind of had a little reprieve from the, or a little break from what we were studying in Acts. And if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to go back and check it out. It was a very encouraging message about what's to come, the new heaven and the new earth, and what we're looking forward to one day. Um, two weeks ago, we read the first part of, we looked through the first part of Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin. Um, and now this is the longest speech recorded in Acts, and so we must understand its importance and in the moment in history in the church. And then the week even before that, so three weeks ago, Chet taught from Acts chapter 6, where we see this, if you guys recall, there was a dispute uh, in the church in Jerusalem in this very early um, in church that's in its infancy uh, about the distribution, distribution of food between the Jewish widows and the Hellenistic widows, and they were having some discrepancies there. Um, and as we recall, seven men were appointed to oversee the distribution of food, and if we recall, all seven of these were chosen from the minority group, which was something interesting and a teaching lesson, I think, for us. Um, and then we see that the church really operated in one spirit and in one spirit as a unified group under Christ. And we see that even in Acts 6 7, it says that a number of priests came to believe in Christ as they heard the gospel and they saw the witness of the early church after these events. And one of these seven deacons that was appointed was Stephen, a man um, who was a practicing Jew, but he was a Greek man. We see that in 6 8, he's described as a man full of faith, he's described as full of the Holy Spirit a man full of God's grace, and he spoke with wisdom. That's the type of person that we should aspire to be, right? How many people, like, if you're like, hey, describe Derek, they're going to say, oh, yeah, he's a man full of faith, man full of the Holy Spirit, man full of God's grace, and when he speaks, he speaks with wisdom. That's probably not going to be, the, like, the first, uh, you know, that's not probably not going to be the first thing on the list, but, um, but that's something that we should all aspire to. That should be something that, that should be part of who we are. He should, this example that we have in Scripture here of Stephen should be an inspiration. He's an example for us. We see the Lord worked mightily through Stephen, and he performed amazing miracles through the power of God. He preached the gospel in the synagogue, the Greek-speaking synagogue, from people that were much like himself with the same type of background. This was the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Um, they did, not, they did not accept the gospel, however, as we've already found out. Instead, they, tr- get, they stir up these trumped-up accusations against him and get him taken before the Sanhedrin, and that's where he gives his defense. Interesting thing is, too, you know, there's very, very likely and very possible, too, I didn't think about this before, that Stephen, the, that this uh, synagogue of the freedmen might be where he, was, where he went before he was converted into Christianity. So he was going to this place... That was teaching, uh, that was uh, teaching the law and teaching all these things where he learned a lot about scripture and probably a lot of his background in the faith uh, before he actually came to know Christ. And he's still going back there and teaching the truth of Christ, and that's getting him in trouble. And and so 
Stephen's sitting here speaking, and he's got this deep abiding understanding of Scripture, uh, even as he's speaking to these people in the synagogue uh, before he's taken before the Sanhedrin. They can't even oppose him because he speaks with authority. Uh, he's able to rightly divide the word of truth, as we, as we said before, uh, and that's how we want to be. He, I find Stephen really to be kind of an inspiration to me, and it's, it's challenging t- for me See, this is a guy, he's not a professional. He's not somebody that gets, you know, he probably had a job. He had probably other things that he did, but he walked with this, he walked in the spirit. He operated in the spirit. And when it came to, uh, to teaching from the truths of scripture, he knew what he was talking about. Um, it, it's, uh, he kept in, in step with the spirit, as we see in Galatians 5.25, exhibiting the fruit of the spirit, even in the midst of trial and in, in the midst of torment. He's quite a, Quite an example for us. And, I, you know, I want to be that way. I want to be led by the Spirit, wherever that leads. For Stephen, that led to death. For me, that might be to the coffee shop, you know. But we all need to be people that are um, led by the Spirit. Um, and that just makes me think, you know, who's the most influential? Just think for yourself. Who's the most influential person in your faith? Was it your parents? Was it like uh, maybe when you were in high school, maybe it was a youth group leader. Maybe it was somebody that you met in college. Maybe... You know, we've all got these people in our lives that have been, you know, really fed into us. But we also have these examples in Scripture that we can look at and we can read about. And we have the, we have the Spirit to lead us too. So we should actually look at uh, people like this in Scripture and use this as, uh, and have the Lord, and pray the Lord, you know, Lord, teach me to be like this. I want to be like this person. I think that's, uh, I think that's quite an appropriate thing to do. Um, so these Greek Jews brought false accusations against Stephen. They distorted the message Stephen was speaking saying that he was speaking against the law, against the temple, against the customs handed down by Moses. Uh, and in Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin, he speaks out with godly respect about the temple, the law, uh, the, the history. Um, but, he, uh, but now he shows how Israel, God's chosen people throughout their history, consistently failed to honor God and his messengers, especially in times when there's change and further revelation and things are moving and shaking. This is ultimately true of these scholars and religious teachers that he's talking to because they did not recognize the one that God sent and who was foretold, Jesus Christ. So Stephen also illuminates the fact that the coming of Christ is rooted in, the, in God's dealings with Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel. And Stephen is talking to this, really the supreme court of Jerusalem at that time. This is the Sanhedrin. And Stephen takes this opportunity to sincerely share the truth of the gospel and to these people in a way that they would understand. He makes some really good arguments. Um, so two weeks ago, we heard the first part of the sermon uh, before the Sanhedrin, and today we will study the second part. Uh, Stephen begins his speech addressing his accusers and judges as brothers and fathers. You know, he identifies with them, but he speaks with authority. He continues, hear me. Um, and he speaks of Joseph, who God chose to be a leader, Yet he was rejected and even sold into slavery by his own brothers. Yet the Lord uses Joseph to fulfill his purposes. And the Lord brings Abraham and his descendants into Egypt. And now, uh, as we recall too in verse 11, Stephen is accused of blaspheming against Moses and the the law. And now Stephen kind of uh, addresses that in this section in verses 17 through 43. So let's jump in. Acts 7 verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. All right, so what, what promise is he talking about? 
Well, this is the prophecy given in Genesis 15 that the descendants of Abraham would be enslaved for 400 plus years. And Stephen has already talked about this prophecy back in verse 6. The the fact that he's saying the time is drawing near is saying that now these people that are in Egypt, in slavery, the time is drawing near for them to be delivered. The end is coming. So that's that's the time that he's speaking of. Verse 18, "...till another king arose who did not know Joseph." This man dealt treacherously with the people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they may not live. You remember from Exodus 1, we read about the Pharaoh who decides to murder all the Israelite babies because the Jews were increasing in number, becoming too powerful as a group of slaves. And so Joseph had been powerful in Egypt, but now this new Pharaoh doesn't know about Joseph He in is treats the descendants of Joseph in a brutal fashion, even killing their children or ordering them to be killed. Verse 20, At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when, uh, but when he was set out, Barah's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. So if you remember from Joseph or from when you were a kid and you were um, in uh, Sunday school, uh, Joseph was put into a basket by his mother and floated down the Nile. Now, that looks really nice in like the pictures that you see in Sunday school, but think of how desperate you would have to be as a mother to take a three-year-old child and put him in a basket, and, or th- excuse me, a three-month-old child, put it in a basket and quite literally push it down the river in the Nile. You know, that's, uh, but that's the better alternative to having the kid you know, thrown into Uh, thrown into the Nile to either drown or be eaten by crocodiles. I mean, that's just a horrible thing to think of. Um, And at this time, uh, Moses was born. He was well-pleasing to God and was brought up. uh, took more of that. We already went through all that one. So let's go to verse 22. I'll also remember Pharaoh's daughter picked up Moses out of the Nile. He not only was he saved, but he became a prince of Egypt, became a person of power. And that takes us to verse 22. And Moses learned... Um, and all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in word and deeds. Now, remember, these people were saying that Joseph was speaking against uh, Moses and the law. So he's not blaspheming Moses. He's, he's revering Moses here, um, even talking about his wisdom. And Moses would have been taught in geometry and astronomy. He would have had a lot of learning there, being, a, uh, being in, high, in a high position or in, at least in the house of Pharaoh. In verse 23, Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So God is moving in, in uh, Joseph's heart. And he, you know, he's an Israelite man. He's been brought up uh, in Pharaoh's house. He's had all the comforts of Egypt, but now he sees that his people are, are suffering under this cruel slavery. In verse 24, And seeing them suffering... Um, and seeing one of them suffer uh, wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. So if you remember from, from the story, he sees uh, one, of his, one of his own countrymen being beaten, and he t- goes up to this Egyptian, kills him, even buries this guy in the sand, as it says in Exodus. Uh, Moses thought he would be a hero to his people, but this wasn't so. In verse 25, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood what, that God would deliver them by his hand, 
but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler or judge over us? Now Moses had essentially delivered one man from a severe beating by killing an oppressor, and now Moses tries to reconcile two of his countrymen who are in a fight. So, I mean, in some sense, Moses at one point is, here is kind of a deliverer and a possible reconciler, but uh, we see that his countrymen, even a slave, says to the prince of Egypt, pushes him away. You know, he, they, don't, they don't accept him. They reject him. Uh, in verse 28, do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at saying this, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Now, we see in Stephen's speech that the activity of God is really not confined just to the geographical land of Israel. Stephen references Abraham in Mesopotamia in chapter two verses, excuse me, chapter seven, verses two and three, and Haran in seven, chapter and verse four. We see the descendants of Abraham in Egypt. We see Joseph right here in Midian. We will later see God's people at Sinai. Stephen develops this even further, as we will see next week, that worship worship that's acceptable to God is not confined to the Jerusalem temple. And this plays an important role in the message of Christ that he's trying to to relay to his uh, unbelieving brothers here. Well, let's continue uh, reading Stephen's message. In verse 30, and, and when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that was Joseph, in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, a voice uh, of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Verse 33. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Verse 34, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Verse 35, This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who have you made a ruler and a judge, is is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of of the angel who appeared to him at the bush. But uh, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now this is very important because the prophet that Moses is foretelling um, points ultimately to Christ. You know, Stephen honors Moses and the law because he honors also who they point to, to Christ. Verse 38, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, with our fathers, and one who received the living oracles to give to us. Another indictment against Stephen is that he speaks against the law, but here Stephen acknowledges the law, The congregation waited in the wilderness for the law to be given through Moses. Living oracles, you know, this is a a command, a divine authoritative revelation, the word of God that lives forever. You know, Stephen is not blaspheming against the law. He acknowledges that the law is given by God. 
And verse 39, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As far as this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know him, uh, do not know what has become of him. Wow. So D- Stephen shows once again that Israel rejected Moses. Moses, who God used to part the Red Sea, who God used to show his mighty power before Pharaoh, um, delivers these folks out of brutal slavery and where their own children were being thrown into the river and beaten. Uh, these people that were being beaten and, and just driven mercilessly in slavery. And so who are the real blasphemers here? It's, you know, it's the Israelites who turn their back, and it says that they turn their hearts to Egypt. Wow. Verse 41, They made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejected the works, excuse me, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. So while Moses is up on a mountain receiving instruction from God for his people, those same people were down there worshiping an idol, got drunk and indulged in revelry, as Scripture says in verse 32, which I think is the PG version of some really bad stuff. Um, you know, what was the first commandment that God gave to Moses? God's up on this mountain. What was the first commandment God gives to Moses while all this is happening? Exodus 20, and God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Wow. You shall serve no other gods. And while this is happening, Israel is serving other gods. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing, really. So who are the blasphemers? You know, the history of Israel is, is a history of blasphemers, and yet God continues to be gracious and continues to lead and love His people. And they learn... You know they they have they have a they have a lot of things go bad, but they learn and they keep. Uh, you see, we're, we're you know Stephen is really showing the places where they reject, but then they also accept at other times. But throughout their history, they they uh, many times they do not accept the one that God sends to them. So verse forty two, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up uh, the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of God, Rempan, images you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So he's quoting there from Amos 5, verse 25, and he's speaking of the judgment that would come on Israel because of their disobedience, because they did not believe Moses, and they did not believe the oracles of God. Um, so this is some pretty heavy stuff. So Stephen is making an argument here. And f- for one thing, both Moses and Joseph, who Stephen has talked about, were widely rejected by Israel until their second appearance. Now, undoubtedly, Stephen had been speaking in the synagogue and teaching the truth of Christ that he's coming again. You see that in the New Testament. They're teaching it over and over. Christ is coming again. It's quite likely that his audience understood the implication that, hey, you guys are rejecting somebody God sent again. He's going to come back, and it's going to be recognized. You recognize now or, 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 or when it's too late. Um, so that's a, a scary thought. You know, and then the third indictment is that Steve, Stephen speaks against the temple, and this will really be addressed in the next section. So 
we have this this fairly lengthy passage where Stephen's laying out some very specific. Uh, he's, he's laying out the gospel in a very specific way, in a way that his audience can understand. And um, and he goes and we'll this really culminates next week, and we'll see that uh, it doesn't go well for Stephen. But the Lord is still in charge, and um, and he's using this even to spread the gospel. And we'll see some more of that next week. But what do we do with all this? What do we do with this message in these verses from Stephen? How do we apply this to our our present context? What, what am I going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do when you go to class tomorrow? What are you going to do when you go to work tomorrow? How does this look for us? Well, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of ideas in here. I think we really need to really need to consider. The first thing is we really need to be circumspect because we look at the history of Israel. These are the descendants of Abraham. These are God's chosen people. These are the people that God works through throughout history to reveal truth to the nations. But they keep messing up. They I mean consistently mess up. They mess up and they mess up and they mess up. Now God still loves them. And there's still forgiveness and God's still working, but we see that they mess up on a consistent basis. Well, how are we doing in our... Well, let's look at the history of the church now. And we can say church in quotes, but let's say the history of people that teach Jesus. I mean, there's some rough stuff that has happened in the name of Jesus. Not to mean that every person that's called on the name of Jesus is a a true believer. But we've got to acknowledge, man, there's been a lot of times when some bad stuff has been done. We need to look at ourselves even now, our church, our, our church context in our country, our church context in our world. Is there something we're missing in our own lives? Is there something that we're just missing? You know, Chet talked a couple of weeks ago about American Christianity, and one of the goals that we see at the heart of American Christianity is like we want to eliminate suffering, want things to be kind of perfect. And we see that as an overarching theme a lot in our, in our cultural Christianity in the United States. And that's something that we got to check ourselves on. And that's something that we can, you know, that, that can affect us very easily without our understanding because we're very easily influenced by culture and by people that are around us and um, things that we see on TV and things that we hear. So we need to be circumspect and really check. You know, we need to check ourselves and, and see, Lord, what, do you, you know, what, what blind spots do I have because of my culture, or even because of things that I heard growing up, even, in, even from you know, people that love the, Jesus? What, what things do I need to, uh, what things do I need to uh, rethink? Let's be circumspect. The other thing, I, the other thing that this really uh, makes me think is, man, we need to be radical, right? Stephen seems like a guy, he ain't holding back. He's not scared. He's not scared of anybody, but he's also not. He's not running out trying to start a fight. You know, he's not like running out here like, let me see if I can just break something. I don't know if you. I've known some folks like that. I've got some people that come to work, and I just I think they come to work with a sledgehammer just to see what they can break. Like, uh, you know, we, I'm not trying to say that we need to have Christianity like that, where it's like let's just break something. But we need to be not afraid to follow the Spirit, no matter where it leads, and still show love and still exhibit the the gifts of the Spirit. Um, to be gracious, to be loving, but not to be afraid of having those tough conversations, not be afraid to step out in faith. Uh, Stephen wasn't scared. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's something that we need to do. And also 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, we can be people that are saved we love god god loves us but we can get caught up in our own stuff instead of being about instead of being about what god wants us to be about so let's let's be radical let's not be afraid um when i was uh, the other the other night i was uh, i was looking at some of these verses and i was 
kind of thinking about this. Let's let's be radical. And I had that idea, and I was and I'm sitting here at a coffee shop typing on something, and nobody said a word. Coffee shops are funny, man, because you can sit in a coffee shop. Some sometimes people will be chatting it up. Sometimes you can spend 20, 30 minutes in a coffee shop, and there's not a single word. It was one of those days where there's not a single word. And um, and the lady that was working, um, I had gone back and gotten a couple of cups of coffee, so I went back up to her and then started just have a conversation. Like, hey, how long have you worked here? I hadn't seen you here before. And then she started telling me a couple of different things that she actually works at a she works at this local coffee shop, but she also works at Starbucks. She's like, I don't want to admit that to everybody because I get busted out, but I get I get health insurance because I work through Starbucks, you know. And I just read a book, and in, in, in the book, at one point, they actually interview the guy from Starbucks. So I was like, let me tell you a little bit about his history and why he thought this was important, you know, and talk anyway. So we have, so we're just having this conversation and then, and then it comes up that she was actually a believer, had no idea, but she was talking about her faith in that, and that how at Starbucks she gets to actually talk to a lot of people that, that from some of her friends that are believers, like give her all kinds of grief because she works at Starbucks and, you know, they have this whole Christmas thing. That's a little, little funny. And then she's like, but man, I get to talk to all these people that like, are you know, avowed atheists, but they're not afraid to talk about it. She's like, sometimes I'm afraid to share my faith and, or, or to know how far to go. So I ended up sitting here having this like 15-minute conversation with this lady, and, we were, and, and I was able to encourage her. And, um, and uh, it was really, it was just a really cool opportunity. And, I don't, you know, that's just a little conversation. But, you know, what, what happens when she goes to Starbucks tomorrow and has a conversation with somebody, and maybe she's a little bit more encouraged to, to say something, to be positive, to to speak about Christ. You know, you don't ever know what that, that, those 15 minutes do. But, um, you know, if I wasn't actually physically thinking right then, I need to be radical. Ugh, I don't want to be radical right now. I want to sip some coffee. I want to finish this and I want to go home. You know what I mean? Instead of stepping out in faith. But we need to be people that are led by the Spirit and not afraid to step out in faith. I just want to say that to encourage you. Um, the other thing that, uh, that really was impressed upon me is we need, you know, really to rediscover truth. You know, uh, Again, truth can sometimes be hidden because of theological, cultural, or historical blinds. Uh, you know, as these religious leaders in this context really miss the forest for the trees. I mean, they're sitting here studying the prophets. They're studying the Pentateuch. They're studying all these things that are pointing towards Jesus, and they just totally miss it. Um, we need to be people that search Scripture all the time with humbleness, and to be led by the Spirit. You know, 200 years ago, it, were, it was the Christians in Britain who understood the worth of human beings because looking really through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of, uh, through the lens of faith, we're talking about people like William Wilberforce, they fought against the evil slave, slave trade of the British Empire. Now, there was one cultural lens that said, well, this is all okay because those people are subhuman. But they looked through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of truth and said, you know, you guys can say this and culture can say this. The tr- even people in certain churches can preach this, but I'm standing on Scripture, and that is not right. And we need to be willing to do that in our context, too, um, to call out things that are wrong. So I just encourage us with those three things this morning. You know, be circumspect, be radical, and also look to, look to Scripture um, as your measure of truth. And know it well, because we can see that. Now, it's one thing; it's one thing to know that Scripture exists, to know that there's some good verses out there that are encouraging uh, here and there. But man, to look at the life of Stephen and just to see how he was able to use Scripture um, in his context specifically, really to uh, really to hammer home the truth of Christ. We need to understand 
we need to understand Scripture too. And not, not to have some sort of, hey, I'm this awesome guy that knows everything about Scripture and people can say that about me and then I feel good about myself. But we want to operate in the Spirit. And it's a lot easier uh, to recall things that we've heard if we're operating in the Spirit and studying the truth. But I want to be that type of person, um, and I hope you do too. So let's, um, let's go ahead and continue our time. We're going to have open time. Um, before we do that, I just want to pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much um, for the story in Acts where we see, uh, we see Stephen. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you are still working in our world today. I thank you so much that you're still working in us, that you're still working in me. Man, I'm just glad that you're not done with me because um, um, I need you as much today as I ever did. And I know for our church, Lord, that we need you. We've got a lot of people that are going through a lot of different things. We've got a lot of people that are in different places in their walk. Um, But we want to be people that have our eyes on Jesus. We want to be people that look to you, um, that are excited about what you're still doing, that you're still changing people's hearts, um, that you're still bringing people out of darkness and into light. So pray that you would teach us how to love people, that you would teach us how not to be afraid um, to show your, your love and your joy to other folks. And Lord, help us to be people that really get into the Word and understand it so that we can understand what you're about, understand what you're doing, understand what you desire from us. We want to be people that we judge that we judge our own actions and we judge our own thoughts and intents by your Scripture and by your Spirit and not by what we think is appropriate. We want to be people that are led by you. And that's a really easy thing to get up here and say, Lord, but that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and so we really need you Uh, to lead us and guide us in that. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that even in the midst of uh, the story where Stephen gave up his life, that a lot of people came to life because of that ultimately. Uh, And Lord, we want to be people that are, are used up for you, that our lives count, that we're not afraid to step out. And we thank you that you're still saving, that you're still changing hearts, that you're still bringing beauty from ashes. Pray that you would continue that in us even today in Jesus' name.